This is Company. I'm Sky Manson. Company is a podcast produced in rural Australia, bringing together ambitious women from the bush, the cities, and all over the world. You come and see me, boys, he said. You'll find a welcome and a bed and a whiskey anytime you call. Although our township hasn't got the name of quite a lively spot. You see, I live in Bulagul, and people have an awful down upon the district and the town, which worse than hell itself the call. In fact, the saying far and wide along the Riverina side is hey, hell, and Bulagul. That's the infamous writing of Australian poet Banjo Patterson. And today on the podcast, I'll be taking you to the so-called hell. It's the one tree plain on the Cobb Highway between Hay and Bulagul in the Riverina area of New South Wales. And it's home to the also infamous One Tree Hotel, which might be familiar to you without you even realising its facade, a timber building with an iron roof and a flat plain that stretches forever, is quintessentially Australian. Sally Smith from Hay is the owner of the One Tree Hotel, which in itself has quite a story. But the reason I wanted to speak with her is because right now, as we speak, the multi-million dollar film Mad Max is being rehearsed and later filmed there. Well, hay is absolutely humming at the moment because the Mad Max filmmakers have taken a 17-week lease on um, the one tree to shoot some scenes for their latest movie. And we've got 300 people staying in hay, so accommodation is very scarce for the through travellers. Apart from that, you know, they're eating out at the hotels every night and the best barista, she's employed out at One Tree to serve coffees from um, breakfast till um, after lunch. It, it's a huge injection of um, funds for the whole town. Do you actually get to have conversations with these people and meet them and learn a little bit about what they're doing or are they rather incognito? Um, I, they're rather incognito. When you do go out there, they've blocked off the Karong Road where they've graded and where they're doing the filming of the, you know, fantastic scenes of cars blowing up and that stuff. And the landowners, they have to get a um, permit to drive home and back. There's security everywhere. It's only the people that they've employed to work, like there's a fellow who drives a water truck to keep the dust down around the tents. And... His wife had a look at all the um, the props and the motorbikes that are decorated and everything. But the general public, they just won't let you in. Right. I've, I've been out once, but it was when the fellow that was dealing with me, he had gone back to Sydney to see his wife and kids. And they don't work. They work a 12-hour day, six days a week, and I went out on the Sunday when nothing much was happening. Wow. And do they all fly in and out um, for, for that one day or do they hang around town when they have their day off? Where do they sleep? Like they're some in town. Of them, 
Well, there's, they're in camper vans, they're, they're in every accommodation house. And some of the locals have moved out of their houses, the, one that's, the ones that own caravans and stuff, and have rented it to the Mad Max and they're living in their caravans. Are but, there any film stars walking down the main street of Hay? Well, they're all a bit incognito. Um, the film stars won't be here because it's all stunts they're doing. The stuntman, there is a presence of young, fit fellas. And I see them a bit walking around the river with my dogs. You know, you just nod good morning and how are you? And um, so I, I haven't got close to it. We're very curious. <laughs> no one dares ask. No, no. Just what an, what an interesting job for the barista. Yes, very interesting. Mm. Do you know what this, it's a Mad Max number what? <laughs> Well, it's, the, the film is called Furiosa and it, it is a sequel to the Mad Max Fury Road and this time the hero is the woman who is Beth Harmon. She starred in um, The Queen's Gambit, if you remember yes, that. Yes. And um, Chris Hemsworth is the baddie. What a shame they're not in town. Yes, it is a pity, but all, all the um, scenes are their stunts with motorbikes and with cars crashing and with being, things being blown up. So it, it, there is a big president of presence of um, stunt people rather than the actors. Yes. And so, Sally, just tell me how this came to be and how you are involved in it. Well, it was quite funny, actually, because... Um, about two years ago, my um, aerobics teacher, she rang up and she's got a couple of small children. She was at the Hay Swimming Pool. With this lady had a couple of small kids, so they got talking and where are you from? And she said she was from Sydney. And she was up here with her husband having a holiday. He was a location scout. Then they talked a bit more and she said, we've been out to one tree and we absolutely love the building. And, and Melissa, the um, Pilates teacher, she sort of said, well, I know the owner. And so through her, I met them. And then they came and had a look. And then Jeremy brought his boss out and they had a look. And then it evolved. They wanted to rent it. Um, I've only got five acres there. So that is his, he's now the location manager. That is his office, the one tree. And there's just, a, a, it's like tent city. They've got marquees as big as tennis courts for costumes, for makeup, for special effects, for the stunt guys, and a huge big top to um house the um, 120 motorbikes and the two great big trucks that they've got that I think they'll probably blow up or something. And, and they've got a cook tent because there's a chef out there that does breakfast and lunch. And then we've got all the um, portaloos. It, it is like a city at the one tree. That's How amazing. amazing. What a shame you can't take go out and take a photo because it's such a part of, well, it is, we will become part of history now. Well, I think eventually, I've, I've done a bit of Googling of the Mad Maxes previously, 
and they did do a, um, a, a YouTube video of Mad Max Fury Road, the making of it, and you've got the director and you've got um, the other production managers explaining what they did and then they've got the creative director telling you how he devised all these amazing vehicles. I did see the motorbikes and I was told they're brand new motorbikes, but to me they look very old because all the colour and the chrome, the mudguards, everything was taken off and they had decorated them in their Mad Max way, which was very interesting. Did you see them just driving down the road or as they were coming through? No, no. I, I asked. I, I went out there and I ran into Simon, who's the logistics manager, and I said, I couldn't have a little tour, could I? And he, he said, jump in. So I had a little tour and they had, I think they had 30 of the motorbikes lined up and he drove me through, but I wasn't allowed to take photos or I wasn't allowed to tell people what they were. But, How amazing. And so is it just your land um, at One Tree that is in use or are are they using part of neighbouring farms as well? On the no, neighbor? they're using, I'm on the stock route. They're using um, other parts of the stock route that, because I've only got five acres, they've, they've gone, they've graded to the west and to the north of me where they've set up all the tents and everything. And then further down the Karong Road, they've, they've graded a patch off the Karong Road, which is where the filming takes place. So will the hotel be in the film? No, no. How interesting. So they just liked the look of the hotel to set themselves up for as their location and they just used the land around it. Well, I think they could see that they could get, I've, I've got a generator, they could plug into power, they could um, use my water, um, you know, they needed, well, it was probably an easier base than starting from scratch. In the beginning, Jeremy told me he was going to have two camps, but then I thought they did a, they would have done a rethink with economies of scale. And um, so the whole headquarters is at the one tray. <laughs> how good's that? <laughs> so how long are they there for? Well, my contract goes until the 3rd of June, but it just depends on how things go. You know, there's a lot of elements at stake, weather-wise and mm. think other sort of things like that. We're not sure. They're still rehearsing. And originally they told me that they would be finished rehearsing in February and then they would be filming. But um, that hasn't exactly gone to plan. And I don't like to keep ringing them up every day and say, what are you up to? Because <laughs> they've all got busy and things to do. Yes, absolutely. Um, when the filming starts, does a new wave of people come into town? Well, that's when the directors come and, um, yes. In Sheila's case, um, she's rented the B&B out to them. She's got a wave of um, she, she had the head stunt coordinator staying for a few days and then he left and then she got the head makeup lady. And so she sort of sees a, um, more people than I do. How fascinating. 
I hope she's had some good conversations around her beautiful dinner table with them. (laughs) (laughs) Well, she's got the baby and they work from um, 6 till 6 a.m. until 6 p.m. So I don't think she sees very much of them. Yeah. just sort of gives them the, a, a breakfast early and that which they take on the run and then they're out there. Tell uh, me how you came to be the owner of the One Tree Hotel initially. Well, um, years ago um, when I got married, my sister came up and we'd heard about the One Tree, you know, Hey Helen Bulligal, the poem and um, Flash Jack from Gundagai, the stories, the history. Thought we'd take a drive and have a look. Anyway, we went straight past it because there was no hotel sign. We landed in Bulligal, and then the people at Bulligal told us where it was on the turn off of the Karong Road, but it was just a little house. When we got there, I took a photo of it. it it's a, it's a. I really like the. Um, the, the structure, it, it's a very unique Australian um, building. It's, it's got a tin roof and the tin was falling off at that stage, but a veranda all round and it's made of Murray Pine drop locks. And it's in the middle of the One Tree Plain, which it, it's sort of like a ship in the ocean. And I, I took some photos and then um, down the track, and they had the One Tree races and over a 1,000 people in 1977 went there. I went to the ones, the second one in 1984 and there were 3,000 people there. And they had just normal grass-fed horses and they just did a, a sort of straight six gallop. But lots and lots of people went there for the day because it was so exciting and that you know they had the stalls and the bar was open and and they drank an amazing amount of beer i could see the um the potential of it and then it got to the stage where in the in the hay newspaper the owner had died and the the pub had been left with nothing and so um it being on the stock road route um, animals got in and they sort of trashed it people camped there and stole what they could lights uh, not lights but door handles doors um, drop logs to make a chook house or a dog kennel there wasn't much of it but it was just such a good building the council had tried to buy it but unsuccessfully so I thought well I'll track down the owners who lived at Reservoir and I went and asked them if I could buy it. Well, it took them two years to uh, make their mind up. Next thing was I sort of had to look around town and try and find a tradesman to help me fix it. I, I couldn't. And then my bridesmaid rang me up and um, she said her son had just finished a carpentry course and was a bit restless. And so I said, well, I've got a job for him. So he came up. And um, we set two and we were given two houses of the same era, that's 1862. We we sort of dismantled these houses and then he set two and um, started restoring it. How did you find those houses? Well, um, it was in the paper that I had purchased the pub and I was looking for um, spare parts. And the, the town, because... Because of the One Tree races and because of the things that have happened in the history, 
Um, it's a very unique piece of history. It's also um, the, one of the most photographed think, uh, attractions in the Hay District because at sunset, it just makes a great photo. It makes a great photo early in the morning sunrise, just the, the hotel on the vast one tree plain. Mm. And so um, that, that was a big adventure. Anyway, when um, Nicholas, he, being a modern carpenter, he didn't have the skills to put the windows and the doors in. The doors are acquired because they weren't made specifically for that building. They had to be sort of cut to size. So I found this fellow called Jim Freeland, who um, was a master tradesman, and he came out and then he didn't have a license, so I dragged his trailer out and became his um, apprentice mm. with another friend. And he taught us to putty and to do the lesser jobs and to prepare walls for painting. And we did the painting and um, just followed his instructions. How good. So what's it like being out there at the hotel? Does it, how does it feel? I get a sense of absolute peace. And especially if it's a really hot day and there's a dust storm, now you can close it all up. And it's like being a ship on a ship at sea. Mm. It, it, you see the elements all around you, and um, it, it is a very peaceful place, I think. Where's the tree? Oh, sadly, the tree blew down on the 31st of December in 1901. Alexander Finch, the fellow who built the One Tree Hotel, he called it Finch's Inn. He had inscribed his um, name in the tree, as well as a lot of drovers. He, he built the hotel about half a mile to the east of the one tree because he didn't like all the drovers. The, his idea of building the one tree hotel was to, for the Cobb & Co coaches and for um, those clientele rather than the drovers. But he did manage to attract everyone. For 100 years, the Country Women's Association of New South Wales has been bettering the services, facilities and communities of this state. There are many exciting events and activities planned for the organisation's 100th birthday this year, the biggest of which will be the annual state conference for members at Royal Randwick in Sydney on the 2nd to the 5th of May. As well is the release of Liz Harfel's book, Women Who Changed Country Australia, which will happen at a date later in the year that's yet to be confirmed. Find out more information about the annual conference and when Liz's book will be released by following the CWA of New South Wales's Facebook page. Another much-loved resource is the CWA journal, which is sent to all current members. To become a member, like I have, fill out the application online at cwaofnewsouthwales.org.au. Tell me more about the history. and um, So that's obviously why he built it, but when he built it, what kind of... What happened? 
Well, it, it, it was famous um, the, for, well, it, it was on the Cobb & Co coach run. The coach going north left Hay at six o'clock at night and it got to um, One Tree at about 11 o'clock where the people would get off and refresh themselves with sandwiches and hot scones and tea and while they changed the horses to go onto the next lap to go to Bulligal. The run went from Hay to Wilcannia, so it was a long journey. And we have a replica of the Sunbeam coach, which is licensed for 17 passengers. Now, if you saw it, the people were much, much smaller in those days because you wouldn't have 17 people in the coach now. And at the back of the one tree, they... Um, built stables and they, they had horses that you could and then they built a great water hole where people could water the drovers could water their stock later they had that was built by Chinese people so it was a busy spot stopover point yes yes the coaches would pull up and the horses would be rested. And did did people stay there? Was there accommodation well, rooms? Yes, there were accommodation rooms. And um, this is a funny story that a, a gentleman from Bulligal who forebears owned a big property there and he still lives there and he was telling me about his grandmother who was going to Hay and she left Bulligal and it was in the summer and she was very hot and she uh, went to one of the rooms to re refresh herself. And at those days, they had rainwater tanks. When it, that was finished and it didn't rain, they carted water in a furphy truck and um, she poured the water into the jug and then she rang the bell because she, the water was a bit gritty. And the maid came and she said, look, could you give me some fresh water, please? This water's a bit muddy. And the girl said, look, I'm terribly sorry. We're out of water. When you've refreshed yourself, could you please pour the bowl back into the jug? <laughs> His grandmother gave up travelling after that. Oh. <laughs> oh, dear. In those days, there was no electricity. Mm. So it was just lit by candles. And people often wondered how the hot scones were always piping hot when they came up from hay. But the cook knew she, as soon as she saw the coach lights, the scones would go into the wood oven. By the time they'd unloaded the guests, everything was ready. Amazing. When you took it over, how much of the original was still salvageable? And, you know, things like the the bar and things like that does that is that still original the bar we only had to replace one board of the bar that that was good but the building the it was pretty trashed and it was all graffitied mm. the the floorboards we had to replace a lot of those because i think stock had been through or people had ripped them up to light a fire um, the veranda was very badly we, I had to completely redo the whole veranda and the tin off the roof. Well, the council, well, that was the catalyst for me getting involved because the article said it would, it was a danger. The tin was being blown off the roof onto the Cobb Highway, which is a danger to motorists. And so um, the first job we actually did was um, 
to put the roof on it to stop the leaking. And then the plaster inside, that was the old horsehair plaster. Well, that it all sort of um, dis dissipated due to the leakages. And so we had to fix that journey in restoring an old place. How many owners have there been? Oh, there's been quite a few. I see. A lot of licensees. There would have been over about 20 because Alexander Finch, who bought it, he got into trouble financially and then he moved up to Bulligal to build another hotel. The people that owned it then, the father died and left the, the, the hotel was in trust for these children. It, it just went through a series of um, different publicans until the McQuaid's bought it. Well, the McQuaid's didn't buy it. The Gannons, um, there was a Miss Gannon, Mr. Gannon um, owned it, and um, his daughter married Frank McQuaid, who was, he was a, um, worked with the Teamsters for one of the um, big properties. And then when they got married, he moved in and helped Jeanette Gannon move, uh, run the hotel. And that, that was running, it, it did a very big trade with the Cobb & Co coach, but after the Second World War, um, when motorised cars came, the, the um, trade dropped off a lot because they didn't stop. And luckily they had a paddock opposite the, the road where they ran sheep. And at that stage, wool was a pound a pound. So um, they didn't... The, the, they let the licence lapse in 1942, but they did keep it open for people to bring their own grog and just see a country hotel because the main parlour, it had a, a piano in it and um, it, it was decorated nicely with a great big fireplace and, um, yeah, it, it was just something to, for people to sit at and have a look and have a drink um, on their way to Bulligal or on their way from Bulligal. Tell me more about, I love that idea of people, of being a BYO bar. <laughs> this is all folklore because um, nothing's been written down, but Frank McQuaid was a character and um, I think he charged them corkage to come in. But, and they got a lot of stories from him. So it, 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 people in the know, they used to always stop there and get a story from Frank. And When you first went there, was it a functioning bar or did you just go and sit and have a drink and what did you BYO? When I went with my sister, we looked at it and we didn't like to go in because someone was living there. But um, they had the One Tree races and, and that brought a lot of people. That was the first time I saw inside it. And at that stage, it, it was just simple. It hadn't been trashed. And so we went in and we had a drink and that was it. But I, I liked it. It was so simple with beautiful um, four-pane windows and at the back they had French... French open windows mm. and luckily I when I was getting those um, 
redone. I, I could I found one with no glass panes that I could send to a joiner in Wagga, and a prototype of one of the um, of the French windows. Okay. So all of those replaced, and they're all authentic now. Mm. So it, we've done it as much as we can to make it look as it was years ago. And so what is the One Tree used for now? Is it open to the public? Can you just go and visit? Well, I tried to get a licence and that proved very difficult. And um, we, I, after um, I finished renovating it, I had a series of roast dinners for people who had helped me. And then after that, things came along. Hay was sort of humming in the tourist um, world. And I used to do um, sundowner tours where a busload of 45 people had come out and they'd have a look around at about four o'clock and we'd give them a beer or, or, or a glass of champagne and they would stay and have a look at the sunset and then go back to hay. And then that sort of dissipated in the 10-year drought. And after that, people came and used it as a venue for openings, for cookery launches, for um, weddings. And I had a lot of birthday parties there. And... And then after that, Andrew Furphy, an amateur filmmaker, he contacted me and he made a short Henry Lawson movie using um, the jackaroos from, the, from Yulonga, from the adjoining property. And that was interesting. They invited me to, take, to, to come out. But I found it rather boring after, you know, we had take one, take, up to take 20 and they were doing the same thing. <laughs> And, and then, um, oh, yes, we had Shannon Knoll out to do a film clip, and that, that was really funny. We, he'd, he'd been to Hay to do a concert, and then he asked if they could do a film club, clip, and we were all involved. Well, we weren't involved. We were just watching the film clip, and at the end we got him to um, do a donut on a borrowed ute, his um, henchmen were terrified and saying you shouldn't be doing it, but we were all laughing. We thought it was hilarious. True roots came out. Yeah. <laughs> so it's seen its fair share of fame. Yes, and and it's it's built to stay because um, you know it's over. It, well, it was over a hundred years when I got it. And it was looking fairly um, ragged then, and it's all fixed up now. And um, I think, I think it, it it will last for another hundred years if it's if it's looked after properly. Why did you want to buy it to 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 keep the history going, or do you, were you just taken by the architecture and? and interiors because it easily could have been let go it was a rush of blood to the head (laughs) I just had this romantic thing of wouldn't it be great to do it I mean no one sort of said how ridiculous they they because the town you know really treasured it it is one of the most photographed things in hay people go out in the morning or at night 
especially to take photos of it. It's very well, you know, there's lots of artists that have painted it and, you know, they make placemats and you, you see the one tree everywhere. Yes. Yeah, it's part of Australian folklore and history. Well, it is. And, I mean, a lot of Australian history, especially in the country towns, they're just pulling them, the good things down and abandoning them and uh, putting up cheap, nasty structures. And this with the, you know, the way the Cobb & Co coach, it make, made me think um, it's, it's how we started off or how our forebears did. I'm very glad I wasn't a pioneer, but um, it, it just makes you think that um, we've got a lot softer these days. Yes. Are you tempted to plant a tree? That's been tried by a few people. And the conditions, I would have to get a watering system to literally get it going because the environment is so harsh. The, the one tree that grew about half a mile to the um, northwest of the build of the pub and it was near a shallow swamp. So it got its water there and it did grow to 100 feet. And, but um, I think that is why it happened. There is a, a water hole near the one tree, much closer now, where when they had the big cattle yards and everything built, and the, that has got trees around it, which is, is 50 yards away. So there are still trees, but to, to go and plant a, one, a tree like the one tree, I, think it, I don't think it would be possible. Patterson likened it to hell. Tell me about if you can understand that or not. I, I can understand it because having seen no bitumen roads and when it rains, the clay just sticks to you. you. You just, all the locals, when it rains, even if you get 20 points, you just don't go driving because you just get bogged. And then to think of the coaches coming through, um, there are stories that people have had to get out of the coaches on after a thunderstorm and the driver pulls the horses and the passengers push the coach. And then on a hot day, um, if you get a hot wind, um, no air conditioning in the coach, um, I think Patterson described it very aptly. It's so interesting that you first describe, I mean, people would think as of the hell on the hay plains as the hot times, but actually in the wet, it is 10 times worse. Absolutely. Which is ironic, isn't it? Yes, yes. And, you know, to, to have you as a paying passenger, to have to get out and push, um, that wouldn't have been too much fun. So, Sally, outside of the one tree does it take up most of your um most of your time no it doesn't really um it, it's i i go out there to look after it and to i've got i've planted old man salt bush around it just to sort of cushion the dust factor and um just try and just make it a bit more pretty it lives by itself mainly. It's only when we've got functions and things that I go out and 
and you know well if it needs maintenance done well sally it's been so nice talking with you have i missed anything is there anything else that we need to know about the one tree that the pub was actually burnt down in 1897 and it it was originally built of ads Murray pine logs from Yuragabar station but when it was built when it was burned down the then um, publican he wanted to build a brick one um, because there were th three brickworks in hay and there was a scarcity of wood mm. but the insurance company wouldn't let him he said no it has to be a replica except you can have a, a corrugated tin roof rather than the shingles. So he had to do that. But because the wood had all been used at mm. close, the, the pine logs had to come from Narandra, from the sawmill, and they were trained to hay and then they came out in a bullock dray. So the insurance company, it cost them far more money. When it was rebuilt, I found in the Grazier in the 13th of the first 1900, a notice from um, the then um, publican, Alec J. Costa, saying that um, One Tree Hotel begs to inform the traveling public that he has reopened the One Tree Hotel on the Hay Bulligal Road. The building has been newly fit, furnished and will be found replete with every comfort and convenience. Good accommodation, only the best brands of wine and spirits kept. Good staples, Alex J. Costa. So that Love was- that. That makes me smile. I want to go there. <laughs> <laughs> and I hope one day I can go there. It sounds like- um... Such a beautiful place. I want, have you ever had any writers approach you about being in residence there? Uh, no, but I've, I've had artists wanting to come. So do you have any idea when Mad Max is going to be gracing the screens? No, I don't think they know because originally it was meant to be a 10-minute scene, but with all this going up, I think they're going to do more than that after here they're going to a site at Broken Hill. So I don't even think they know when it, they've got to put all the film together and then it, it won't be next week or next year, I wouldn't think. What does the future hold for the One Tree? What kind of things would you like to see happen there? Wellness days, stargazing sessions, movie sites, function venues. There are a lot of possibilities for the One Tree being such a unique piece of history. And I've reached a time to pass it on to the next person who wants to take it to the next level. So the One Tree is for sale. Oh, it's just been so fascinating to learn about. And um, I'm excited for Hay, having so many people coming and going through it at the moment and for the One Tree Hotel. And I look forward to stalking down Mad Max and <laughs> watching out for a cameo. <laughs> well, thank you for your interview. Isn't she brilliant? That's the owner of the One Tree Hotel, Sally Smith, and it's for sale. 
Wouldn't it be wonderful if you could buy it? Imagine the things that you could do, the stories you could help to tell and spread across Australia. Thank you to the CWA of New South Wales celebrating 100 years in 2022 for sponsoring this series of the podcast. Without it, it wouldn't be happening. If you're keen for some more of this kind of content, don't forget I do have a newsletter, Company on Sundays. You can subscribe via my website at mansonandcompany.com.